side, got a man open in the end zone. Stills grabs a touchdown. Kenny Stills, what a pair of hands. Lehman showing blitz. There's a the blitz. All right, guys, welcome to the Bud Berry, Bob, and Beer podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Amrabi, and joined by two of my co-hosts on this wonderful evening with the Oklahoma Sooners needing to replace the roof. I'm joined by first Stephen Brown. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. How are you guys? You know, you know, life is all right. I, I got back from winter break. And pretty much all the students, including staff as well, you saw them like kind of be ha- having some energy at the beginning of the day. But by the last hour of the day, the entire staff were kind of just like, yeah, we're ready for the weekend already. And all the kids, like half the kids <laughs> were asleep uh, by sixth and seventh hour because they were just kind of done. So I've just been kind of chilling out and I just I needed a nap because. Well, crap. We 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 talked about. God, we should we should again. We've talked about this. We should record what we do and talk about before the podcast and put it as just like behind like a twenty cent paywall, a ten cent paywall. A nickel will get you far. Uh, dime will too. Um, but uh, yeah, because that's ten cents. But man, it's a uh, it's been that day, right? I my wife had to wake me up twice in the span of fifteen minutes for a podcast because I have nap time. So, but uh. Trevor, what are you, man? How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, I'm ready to issue uh, my public apology for how wrong I got the Alamo Bowl. Uh, <laughs> so I've got I got some feelings that are unresolved. It's it's interesting um, because I I said that. I, I said that Arizona was going to win 38 to 34, but um, I did not expect Oklahoma. Like, sure, yeah, they might turn the ball over twice. I did not expect six times, which is roughly half their drives. So uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, that was a like, that was a game that was fun that could have been gone much better. But we'll get to that. And let's dive right on into the news. Because, well, Oklahoma's got a roof they got to replace. It broke out just like at like 430. <laughs> 4.30. 4.30. It randomly, just like random news drop. It was just like a tiny little statement and a link and an Oklahoma helmet. That was it on Twitter. And Ted Roof, he's gone. Um, Brent, they said Brent wanted to keep him on staff in some capacity, probably as an analyst, uh, get, co- get coffee, analyze, look at film, that kind of guy. Uh, Ted Roof said no, uh, is going to be the D.C. somewhere else. Good luck. Uh, and it appears as if uh, Oklahoma is on the verge of signing one of Brent's former assistants at Clemson, Zach Alley. Uh, he's a current Jacksonville State defensive coordinator who has had very, very, very high-yielding results as far as a defensive <laughs> team. I mean, like he himself on his own personal Twitter, on his coaching Twitter, even put out like, his numbers are pretty pretty high and pretty good for a defense as far as scheme and structure. Um, 
He's got two national ch- championships with Clemson, and he even worked his way with the Carolina Panthers being like a, kind of an intern. So that seems like to be the guy. But let's talk about Ted Roof first. I feel like he at least deserves a mention here. He was there for at least two seasons. Um, Trevor, I'm going to come to you first with this one. I mean, is there anything that you really take away from the Ted Roof kind of, I wouldn't say era, but the Ted Roof years? And how did you feel about his departure when you found out, I suppose? I mean, I guess, I, I guess pretty surprised. Only from the sense that I didn't know if Brent was going to relinquish any kind of control on the defense. And that's exactly why I thought Ted Roof was in the position was in the position that he was, was to be essentially a mouthpiece for Brent just to, you know, Brent is the defensive coordinator for all intents and purposes. And when he, I mean, lets him go and decides to bring in somebody young. It it just tells me like Brent is evolving more into the head coaching role a, a little bit. I, it, he's relinquishing a little bit of control here to me. So that was my take. Yeah. And Steven, I'll come right to you. What were, you, what were your thoughts? And like, what do you, what do you think about the, kind of coaching job that he did under Brent Venables or was he kind of like just kind of an overseer, if you will? <laughs> he was just kind of a placeholder to me. I think when he got hired, we were talking about it and we we're talking about just the salary he was given. I think it was like, what 1.2 million at the time Yeah, uh, per season. And I think we both agreed that it was, that he's just a placeholder. He's a guy that's not going to get in Brent's way. He's not going to try to bring in his own system. He's not going to try to bring in his own guys. He's just there to kind of, I don't want to say game manage, but just kind of be a placeholder until they kind of are ready to move on to somebody else. And obviously that somebody else is Zach Alley. But, um, I mean, I think it's a good move for Brent. We've been talking about how he wants to be more of a CEO type coach. This is kind of a step in that direction. I don't think he just completely relinquishes all that control. And, sure. um to Zach Alley, because Zach Alley is still relatively young in the coaching world, but um, it does seem like Brent is ready to start handing some responsibilities off. And that that's the that's the key takeaway, isn't it? Is that he's got a guy that's won two national championships with him as a grad assistant, not as a player or anything. Um, I imagine that we'll see somebody like Skalski, uh, who coached linebackers a lot of this this year. Uh, I, I imagine we'll see him probably maybe elevated as well to some sort of position or he'll stay on staff as a GA, who knows. Um, but it's good that Brent is coming around to this head coaching gig, like this role. I mean, his first year, you could definitely tell he, and in a second year too, he definitely wants to be involved with the defense. Makes sense. I mean, you're a defensive guy. You've never done that before. Um, even like for, I don't know, like your kids, like soccer games or basketball games, like yours, apparently on the sideline, you've never controlled the entire show. And I think you noticed that in his first year that he just realized he stepped into a pile of mess that they were lucky to even win six wins out of that team, get six wins out of that team. Cause they have how dysfunctional they were. And then this year he kind of like stepped back a little bit more, had had a little, a little bit more of a game manager approach. And I think, 
Seth Latrell being your offensive coordinator uh, in tandem with a guy that you're very familiar with, a guy that you guys mentioned before the podcast is like walk in lockstep with Brent Venables, talks like young Brent, looks like young Brent, kind of scary situation there. Like he even sounds like him a little bit. And, and, it, and it shows his growth, I think, uh, Brent Venables as a coach and his maturity. And something that is put out there immediately, though, as soon as it happened, I mentioned, uh, by God, that sounds like Mike Stoops music. Could you imagine, Stephen, <laughs> if my, if he told us that Mike Stoops was coming back to Oklahoma as the defensive coordinator and he was coaching linebackers? People are going to feel upset about this po- about this part of the podcast regardless, but it's fine. What do you, What would you think? If Mike Stoops was uh, named defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, yeah, I think I would probably lead a protest that most likely turns into a riot uh, against the Spencer Center. <laughs> Is it like, are we like we're going like... to storm it? We're going to break into offices. I'm taking one of the Heisman's probably walking out <laughs> with it. Um, that's the kind of reaction I would have. Hey, it's the fourth. Of January, so you know, we got got close on the anniversary. Two days, I got two days celebration. to plan this. Uh, Trevor, same question. What what would you what would you have done? Because the 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 messaging I got back was just like visceral, like "Don't you wish that on me, Ricky Bobby?" Uh, energy. How would you feel if Mike Stoops was the one that got the nod and that linebacker coach? Um, I mean, I just like have visions of Tavon Austin <laughs> just seared into my brain. No linebackers. Uh, I, I I think I would be right there with Steven uh with a pitchfork. Um I might face painted. Yeah, face painted. Like I might even wear like tusks, you know. Nice. Um, it's a it's yeah. a must have for the days. It's a must have for the days. Yes, I, I mean, you, you got to look the part. So, And I, I, I think everybody else would join you guys. I mean, just like they did at Texas before he even became a coach there. And that's why he went to like, where, where he ended up some, some small school. And then he kind of, where he was he FIU and up, like, then Kentucky? Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. And so like that kind of sucks for his career. Like, but I mean, whatever. Time flies, I suppose. But Anyways, Oklahoma likely very like just right now happening. Uh, Zach Alley appears to be your guy, and it, it appears to be Brent kind of evolving as a head coach, which you love to see, uh, especially as they head into the SEC. But let's go ahead and talk about some portal combat, some portal news, and recruiting. So let's get to recruiting first. Um, high school recruiting, of course. I'm not really talking about um, or, or uh, high school and transfer recruiting, anyways. Oklahoma just got a pledge and transfer from Caden Willard from Miami of Ohio, the Red Hawk, I believe. And he had like 20 tackles, like nine and a half, 10 sacks, three forced fumbles this past year. Pretty tall kid. Um, the edge. Steven, what does this guy bring to Oklahoma? Is he more of a depth piece? Is is he, what what is he for Oklahoma in the rotation to you? I mean, he's obviously... Coming to Oklahoma with those numbers for a reason. 
Yeah, he's not really that hybrid guy. I think he's more of an edge, uh, sitting around 250. So to me, he's kind of a depth guy, maybe a bridge type player um, as you kind of transition between uh, Wooler and Ethan Downs, and then eventually PJ Adabar is going to play quite a bit next season. So um, I think mostly this is a depth move. I don't think we're going to expect him to be some sort of superstar, especially going from the MAC into the SEC and just the the differences and in, in bodies in the trenches. But uh, I think it's a good get, and I think it's a guy that can contribute, um, especially early on in the season. I agree. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of him, especially uh, in the even you know, in the spring game. I mean, uh, Trevor, any thoughts of when Willard finally committed to you? It felt like it took him a while, um, and I know Oklahoma's hot on some other guys' names as well. Yeah, I mean, it, like to echo what Steven's saying, um, a, definitely a great depth move. I'm I'm honestly a little intrigued, like. Um, <laughs> like looking at potentially like a special teams guy um, that could potentially make a, make an impact there. I mean, he's, he's pretty athletic for his frame. Um, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to like really watch him much, but that uh, honestly a pretty solid get. And, and definitely again, like as you're in that transition with some of those guys on the end, you're going to need that bridge. You're going to need some help there. Sure. Um, as a, especially as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a good point of it. Oklahoma is bringing back, especially on that defensive line. Um, even if they are an edge piece, that's pretty significant to what Oklahoma already does. And so guys already in the boat right now, transfer portal, Spencer Brown, a tackle. Uh, you got Fabeche in, in, in Waiwu. Uh, he is the inside offensive lineman. He's the guard from North Texas. He's a team captain. He's got Seth Luttrell ties there. You've got a tight end, and is it Bauer, Bower, Bauer Sharp from S- Southeastern, but that's Louisiana, uh, D2, I believe. Uh, Deion Burks, the big kind of like gem wide receiver one of the class, a Sam Franklin from UT Martin. You rush over 1,300 yards, you're probably going to get an offer from somebody, which you got a lot of. Then you have a couple of cornerbacks, Des Malone and Jocelyn Alaska, who is going to be on a professional. Uh, not professional, but preferred walk-on kind of plus where they have NIL pay for scholarships. Oklahoma gets a kicker today, and uh, just happy with that. <laughs> just happy and uh, truly blessed and highly favored. And then, of course, then Oklahoma gets uh, Caden Willard today as well. So talking about guys still is on, at least, and Steve, I'm going to come to you first, this Oklahoma's still on Casey Thompson, a legacy, uh, of course, Charles Thompson, Jake Roberts from Baylor and Michael Tarquin from USC is Oklahoma likely to land all three of these guys to these guys. What do you think? And like, if so, what are their roles? I mean, Oklahoma obviously needs tight ends. They obviously need offensive linemen. And also they obviously need some uh, quarterback depth. And so those would check a lot of boxes. Yeah, I think they'll land. Probably two of the three, maybe all three. Um, Casey Thompson, to me, maybe seems like the most or least likely, um, given that he could probably go somewhere else and get a scholarship and, and play like that. But um, at the same time, there's some novelty of staying at home, playing uh, as a legacy and all that kind of thing. But uh, the other two, like Tarquin, it sounds like they're going to land Tarquin. I don't know if that's a, a move that really – moves the needle for me like it mm-hmm. he got benched at usc he's mm-hmm. just kind of a body uh, maybe 
a different change in scenery helps, but I'm not expecting much. But I think they'll they'll most likely land him. Um, and then Jake Roberts kind of seems like another deal where it might be like a preferred walk on plus, um, kind of get him back into the area, and then hopefully that helps recruit his brother. And because Oklahoma, they just had a series of kind of, I guess, transfer portal uh, losses, if you will, that Oklahoma was definitely in on. And they haven't really done too much to, well, I wouldn't say they haven't done too much because they've been putting together lots of packages for players that we haven't even talked about publicly, right? Um, but I mean, Trevor, I'm going to come to you with this one. Is do you feel like this is just a tough recruiting cycle uh, for OU, or do you think that like, or as far as the portal is concerned, anyways, or do you think this is simply just like the amount of bodies and talent that's available from this pool of transfers? Exactly that. Um, that I mean, everybody knows that Oklahoma needs help on the offensive line. How many? big time offensive linemen are are out in the portal. I mean that's why Caden Green was was such a huge deal. Yep. Um so Alabama they, centers in the portal now. Yeah. A couple of Alabama no, ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't got the I saw the dude um from LSU um five star 2022 class uh he he just entered the portal and so like i mean ou fans latch on to every every name that essentially enters the portal if they were if they were four or five star at at, at any school um the ou fans are are saying covered wagons so i um I, it, to me it's just like it, it's kind of it, it's addressing what you can and I, I look at like potentially like the scholarship situation and you look at like who potentially enters the portal after spring and also like who is going to get like processed out after spring. Um, like, do you look at guys like trace Ford? Is he actually going to be playing, you know, next fall? Um, or do you potentially work him into early retirement or, or, or whatever, give <laughs> him an opportunity to transfer out, whatever. Um, I don't know. So I, I think there's another phase to this and I'm interested to see like what happens in the spring. Don't take guys just for the sake of taking guys right now. Yeah. And, and, and like, that's something I think that people don't entirely, I wouldn't say like understand because like, if you think about it just for a second, like that's kind of like what is happening, right? Is that, what the transfer portal has done, I felt, I feel like, and Steven, I'll come to you next with this. I feel like the transfer portal has created parity among teams. Like, why go sit behind, you know, Jimmy Green Beans, as Brent Venable say, as as Brent Venable says, uh, why sit go by, behind Jimmy Green Beans over there at Alabama or over there at Georgia, and when you can come and play first first string and for all the snaps you want at so-and-so at a mid-major or in the big in the in the new iteration of the big 12 and there all that other stuff and uh there's that's there's a reason why uh there's so much parody and why alabama doesn't seem as alabama e anymore and why uh, a lot of teams aren't as dominant as they once were maybe besides damn georgia holy 
God, they just steamrolled the <laughs> shit out of Florida State, regardless. But of course, Florida State is missing a quarterback. But it, but still, nonetheless, um, what what are like what what's the defensive situation look like? Offensive situation does is it creating parity, or am I wrong? Is this a situation where the rich keep getting richer, or is it a, just a roster building technique that we kind of talked about last week, like with Lane Kiffin and their experiment at Ole Miss? It's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, those higher tier teams, they can go after guys like maybe not like a G5 level, a guy that's obviously outperformed his rank and he wants to you know play at a higher stage before going to the NFL. The guy's going to end up at, at Georgia or Bama or AM or Ohio State. So um, the rich do keep getting richer in that regard. But you also look at like you can't stockpile talent. Like it's almost a way where you have to just restock your entire roster year after year with a transfer portal because guys that are sitting there for a year or two are going to a mid-major or like a new money team um, where they can start right away. So you see teams uh, like TCU, for instance, is a big mm-hmm. – program that uses a lot in the portal and they've had some success there fell off this year but um you can see where a program like that can kind of strike lightning pretty quick it, and that's why good, it good was, lightning in a bottle i thought that lightning was interesting that brent venables wants to get transfers in but with multiple years remaining so they can develop them as a player and into the system and not just have a one and done type player because that's not what their defense really requires. You need to really learn it uh, before you actually play it. And like, you need to do like have some like troubleshooting errors, I suppose. And so it like, kind of like going off of that and just in recruiting in general, we talked about it and uh, in, in the group chat uh, and Trevor, I'm talking to you about this Oklahoma. I mean, still the, the tight end room. I mean, Caden Helms who might like is, might be in that boat. Oh, like you mentioned, you mentioned, um, Trace Ford, maybe early retirement, who I didn't even know was able to play this year. Um, but th- this Oklahoma off tight end class, I don't know if Caden T- Helms plays. Like he posted just the other day that he was coming back and ready for a new year. I don't know if he's actually going to play. Then you get, looks like, it basically looks like you're on the hook for two more tight ends to come in and Jake Roberts and uh, Bauer Sharp as well. And so like Oklahoma, it does not have the best tight end class and they've, I feel like that's been a group, position group in particular that Oklahoma um, has been super hit or miss or has it been the coaching staff in addition to that? Because I mean, like Braden Willis, he's a good piece. He's a nice complimentary piece, but he can't be like the guy. And you just had Austin Stogner play a full season as your first tight end and, and where he couldn't even see the field again when he was at South Carolina into the conference you're heading in. And uh, like, what do you think? Like, is it just like dry spells or just, you can't get guys on campus? What, like, what do you think? I, I think it's, I, I think it's just a, a dry spell. Uh <laughs> You know, you you had a, a really good run of, you know, I mean, Mark Andrews, Grant Calcaterra, you know, back to back. Um like those are guys that are that are playing in the NFL. Um, like 
it's it's always just kind of been up and down at that position at at Oklahoma, and you know definitely just goes back to Lincoln Riley didn't make it a huge priority um, in his last couple of years, um, and that was pretty abundantly clear. Uh, and so the like the the cupboard was already bare. Um, I mean, you look at like uh, the recruitment and, and who they're bringing in, um, you know, this year, like to go prioritize, you know, a five-star tight end. Um, well, you know, before he reclassified, um, you know, that gives you some hope. Uh, it's, it's makeshift at this point, but it's just a, it's just been a weird weird thing and it's just not consistency in 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 the coaching philosophy essentially of like where the priority has been for the last four seasons yeah it's it's been odd and and steven i want to echo that same sentiment to you like tight end recruiting oklahoma like yes they had mark andrews they had Grant alcatara that had to step away from the game because of concussion then he actually came back uh, made a resurgence and but even through the early 2000s, mid 2000s, 2010s, they've typically had, you know, like at least one somewhat reliable, pretty decent tight end. Um, of course, like 2013 came around and things changed a little bit. Then you got Mark Andrews, who cl- classified as a wide receiver, but ended up being the tight end. He said he didn't want to play. He went to play wide receiver. Um, what does this like? cycle say even about high school recruiting for tight ends and let's even throw offensive line into there as well i mean like i'm aware that uh i'm aware that oklahoma's two guys at the uh, under armor all-american game perform well but i mean those guys can't start day one in the sec likely not but uh the early reviews out of that camp were were very surprising i think some of it was like Daniel Akinkumi is just so hard to evaluate a guy that doesn't really play football games. He's just at a, a, a basically a camp as a school, um, but he has all the measurables and he didn't really like, I mean, for all intents and purposes, stick out in a bad way. He looked the part. So um, Eugene Brooks is another guy that I think maybe is the highest graded out of that camp, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of surprising. He, he basically dominated every rep. So um, they got a couple of good, good diamonds in the rough there, but overall, I mean, this class, if you're talking about offensive line talent, it's just not where it is in like 2023 and 2025. It's just kind of a down year across the board um, for most programs. Uh, tight end wise. I mean, Oklahoma couldn't have gotten better tight end Devon Mitchell. The guy, yeah. guy's a freak uh, and he's supposed to be a junior in high school right now. So um, I think he's going to come in right away, but you also have some couple pieces like Bauer Sharp, I think is a guy that will probably surprise some people as far as just athleticism and size and a guy that can contribute um, right away. And then Caden McIntyre is a guy that they really like in fall camp. Uh, is he big we enough talked yet? about a little bit. He's probably still on the leaner side because he did get injured, and that's why we didn't really see him after those first, what, one or two games. Yeah. Um, but he's a guy that, I mean, after the catch, he looked very athletic. So I think Oklahoma – on paper, it doesn't seem like they're doing great, but I think they're in a good spot in the tight end room. And I mean, everybody saw that clip of Devon Mitchell just completely running over that other high school linebacker, that poor guy uh, across <laughs> the middle. Like he just, he just, it was just a drill and he just like ran him straight over. And so I think it's just interesting uh, the way like it's kind of like viewing recruiting because 
I mean, yeah, this, they played the tight end game well this year. They they secured the legitimate guy that was much needed. They got their David Stone for the tight end room because they needed a guy that could come away and instantly play. Uh, I always put in some work, and um, and but like you mentioned, offensive line like Alabama. If Alabama is like already cutting ties with several offensive linemen you know uh, other programs are also having offensive line issues. And so that, I thought that was interesting. So speaking of off- offensive line issues, let's dive into the Oklahoma-Arizona Alamo Bowl going on. Uh, Oklahoma 24, Arizona 38. You had Jackson Arnold go 26 of 45, uh, two touchdown sweet interceptions, one fumble, and probably maybe another one by causal reaction because he kind of led to Farouk into that mess. But hey, Sawchuck, 15 rushes, 134 and a touchdown, but then had to lead due to injury. So you didn't see him for the rest of the game. Zone has three sacks, five tackles for loss. Oh, yes, five sacks and 11 tackles for loss. Oklahoma, I mentioned it. I looked over uh, by my wife. Oklahoma goes up by 11. I was like, well, this is the this is where we find out if Oklahoma is going to put this team away or if they're going to maybe goof around and then. Oklahoma shoots themselves in the foot. Uh, they hold like every damn play. Uh, and it's the, and it's Walter Rouse for some reason, which I, I don't understand it. It's six total turnovers. That's all you got to say. That's nearly half of the entire offensive possessions of Oklahoma. So, I mean, if half your offensive possessions essentially get wiped away, especially those Farouk fumbles inside the 15, that's typically a loser uh, in Oklahoma did end up losing. I think the score line flatters Arizona a lot more than how close the game was and how well Oklahoma played, despite some of the issues, obviously that were present. Um, Steven, what is your takeaway reaction to this game? I thought defensively they played really well. Um, obviously the dam did break and that's mostly due to the offense giving up, you know, six turnovers there. So, um, I thought, you know, for the most part, if the offense plays, you know, half, even 50% better, they probably win that game. And the defense looks outstanding. But it gives Zona, you know, that many turnovers. <laughs> and to their credit, their receivers are really good. Like a couple of those guys are going to play in the NFL, and I think yeah. they'll probably play for a while. Um, but you just can't do that, especially when you're when you're throwing 45 passes a game. Like you have to have something on offense to – you know, get him or get Jackson Arnold, you know, settled in and then not put too much on his shoulders. Like 45 passes should have never happened. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised after the game to find out that he had passed the ball 45 times. But I mean, after Gavin saw like so they had a lot of success with Gavin Sawchuck and then he gets injured and dinged. And then Seth Luttrell then in the third quarter forgets that they're are running the ball because Gavin Sawchuck is kind of making that run game go by being really patient and just passed the ball a ton in the third quarter. And then the running game came back in the fourth quarter, which I thought was interesting. And they started moving the ball a little bit better again. Uh, Trevor, same question. What were your takes and reactions? You, uh, you said you had some stuff to get off your chest. I mean, the, the, like the turnovers were, were really just kind of shocking to me. Not necessarily like Jackson. Yeah. Like I, I, I figured Jackson Arnold was going to throw a pick or two. Yeah. Um, I, I was not expecting him to, to do that. <laughs> now, that being said, like we saw a lot of very good in Jackson Arnold, um, you know, when he gets humming, he gets humming. So, um, I mean, 
God, I mean, Oklahoma that, that was kicking Nick Arizona's. Anderson. Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma was kicking Arizona's ass in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were driving down and you throw that interception. Or, I mean, Farouk fumbles it on what? Like the, the 20-yard line? or He had a couple inside the but the 15 both times. One is inside the 10, one side is the 15. Right. And, and, and like, you know, that ball getting taken all the way back. Yep. Like, that game was over. Oklahoma scores a touchdown on that drive. The offense could not be stopped at that point. You go up 18 at that point. That game was over. Arizona was demoralized at that point. And it's just amazing, like, to be able to command that kind of high-level football and just utterly collapse the way that it did. Um, It is truly, truly one of the more unique things that I saw for bowl season. Um, And then, I mean, I guess, like, early on, you know, I kind of thought Seth Luttrell was a little too experimental and and kind of a little too treat it like a, a, a glorified scrimmage that it was. But you look at like Sawchuk getting hurt in the fourth quarter and so you kind of understand some of the thinking there. The first quarter to me is baffling, especially like the first the first three series. You you go out and you are having your freshman quarterback chuck it just right over the middle um time and time again and you saw when 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 jackson arnold found success it was underneath it was kind of dinking and dunking and then opening things up downfield you know to not come out and try to get him in some kind of rhythm was really mind-boggling yeah and like that's something that was like very noticeable that I, one of the last things I wanted to see Jackson Arnold do was throw intermediate routes, even though like that's, I mean, that that's what Arizona wants you to do. Uh, Arizona keeps everything in front of them. They play high, uh, tight zone and they keep everything in front of them for, for those underneath routes that if you have the athletes to make it work, then you have the athletes to make it work. And Oklahoma was doing that. Like they got them in a rhythm, start, start some, you know, some stick routes, et cetera. Um, that, catch that like floating ghost touchdown nick anderson caught was just absolutely insane where he just like dragged his tippy toes oh my <laughs> oh my god like it like he was just gliding and his feet were just somehow touching the ground at the same time and so he had it going but like you mentioned you expected freshman mistakes i liked it when he ran the ball um that that when he fumbled the ball, when he actually fumbled the ball and when he's like trying to pass it, but the ball got stripped away from him, that to me, I was like, okay, that is the epitome of a freshman quarterback just trying to do something to help his team win. Right. Um, I didn't really think of anything else other than that. The other two were just like disguised. Uh, people wanted to say that the Arizona players were, since they were wearing like a white jersey in the middle of the field was the Alamo Bowl logo, which was mostly also white gave him trouble i don't know how accurate that would actually be um but i was i I came away from that game expecting some overreactions and obviously there were uh people were like oh well so and so needs to hop in the transfer portal and i'm an idiot you know from like (laughs) tiny 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 town oklahoma uh or somebody that doesn't even live in oklahoma like wanting everybody to leave after after that game like send Julio Farouk to the transfer portal. I saw that more than once uh, when I logged in on Facebook for like two seconds, just to clear my notification. Um, 
but I mean, like it's, it's, it was a good look into what Oklahoma was bringing back. I mean, heck you saw the defense and it, appa- it appears as if everybody, Woody, Woody Washington mentions he's coming back. So the majority of that defense is coming back. And then you got a small kind of look into the offense sans Drake stoops, but then you add an angel Anthony um, and you also add a, Oh, who's it from Purdue? Uh, you add Dion Burks from Purdue as well. And along with Jaquez Petaway, that's already there and guys already on the roster that are growing. And so I, I thought there was positives despite they had six turnovers. I mean, in any football game, if you turn the ball over even three times, you're asking for trouble. If you turn the ball right. over six times, like it's all, you're going to lose that game probably 10 out of 10 times. I don't care. I don't really care who you are. And Oklahoma kept it, was still winning by like this two scores when they had two turnovers, let alone three. Uh, so, I mean, kudos to Jed Fish and the Wildcats. They, they got a win, but uh, Oklahoma, I feel like obviously with a few plays that got went different ways, I suppose would have been completely different outcome. Like you mentioned, Trevor. So kind of like going to the end, it's random stuff. We were talking about Andy Bass for the podcast. And, um, (laughs) he is a guy that's a quarterback from heritage hall, but he plays like the kid like plays like five different positions. Like he plays like quarterback, running back, a little bit of wide receiver, probably a little bit defensive back, et cetera. Um, and he just won the Oklahoma Gatorade player of the year. And again, we've mentioned this so many times that, uh, oh, I just got the ESPN update. Oklahoma expected to hire Jacksonville State defensive coordinator Zach Alley in the same role. So that's cool. Um, Andy Bass winning Gatorade player of the year in Oklahoma. What's that maybe again? We've talked about this before about Brent Venables. Does that suggest Oklahoma is investing in Oklahoma talents just for not just for mining gems, if you will, just to make sure Oklahoma state doesn't get them. Um, but also just the <laughs> fact that this team is really, really, really evaluating because the next person we're going to talk about who's losing his ass in, in, in LA is having a tough time with that. And so like, what is it? What does that say about the staff that they're even evaluating again, preferred walk-ons like crazy in addition to their scholarship guys in the state of Oklahoma, Stephen, that they haven't really done before. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of speaks to the staff that, that Brent Venables is building. And it's not just like the position coaches and the coordinators. They have a bunch of recruiting staff now. Um, and that's, you know, part of the reason that they want to build a new facility is to put all these people in one, one building and keep everybody in the conversations in one building. Um, but it's, it's just an emphasis on an in-state recruiting. Like we talked about with Lincoln, uh, that tapered off quite a bit. And then now you look at Brent Venables and he's looking at every in-state guy. He's going, you know, town to town, building these relationships um, with coaches, with parents, all this, all this other thing. Like he's familiar to everybody and he's approachable to everybody. So um, getting Andy Bass, I think is really good because he's a guy that I think can play at a very high level. Obviously, we'll see what he looks like coming off that that unfortunate injury he suffered in, I think, the state playoff game or in a playoff game. But, I mean, he's a high-end athlete, fast, strong. I mean, the dude, dude's jacked. So, I mean, if, for him to be a preferred walk-on says a lot about where Oklahoma is. And same thing to you, Trevor. I mean, like Brent Venables, Andy Bass, Oklahoma just in general, they made it a really big 
really big emphasis to get Oklahoma kids, really evaluate them. What does this say to you, again, that Oklahoma's getting that Gatorade play of the year, they're getting the lion's share of the in-state recruits, and then an Oklahoma State, then they're uh, in Arkansas, gets second, second-hand dibs. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in-state recruiting has has just always got to be a priority. Um, I mean, now that you don't have Oklahoma State on your on your schedule anymore, um, it, it's kind of a little. I'm interested to see like what the emphasis is there, um, but it, it 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 it's very refreshing considering where Lincoln Riley left it. Um, it and so I mean to see again a guy like Andy Bass, Stephen, you you hit it right on the head that him taking preferred walk on. This dude's a football player. Like he is a he's a really damn good football player, um, and he's coming into you know a, a stacked running back room. Um, you know, dude's dude's talented. Dude's very talented. Um, he's got shake. Yeah. He's got shake. He he can play. Like he's a guy that you obviously can sp- spring out to the perimeter and go five wide with him. I mean, that that's a guy you feel comfortable doing so. And he's an athlete. And that's something that you really obviously want. Like, you just want your natural athletes on the field with you. And um, somebody that's losing a lot of athletes is Lincoln Riley. Uh, obviously, Caleb Williams to the NFL. Malachi Nelson, five-star quarterback. To, Boise, to Boise State. Boise. Yeah, going to Boise State to play on some blue turf. I thought Will Howard was going to end up being with him um, from Kansas State, but Will Howard ends up going to Ohio State, a, a team that um, Lincoln Riley will not play this in the Big Ten this this upcoming season. But oh my gosh, they they lost uh, they they lost Michael Jackson the third today. Uh, they 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 keep on bleeding talent. I mean, this has to be a terrible, terrible, terrible look for Lincoln Riley's career trajectory. Yes. Or is this just like a weird one-off or is he being exposed? <laughs> exposed. 100%. This is, the, this is the result of just relying on the portal no matter what. Do you think because you're looking at a guy that like his recruiting class isn't that good and most of his talent has come through the portal. Um, and now, you know, one bad year and now it's all gone. It's it's just it's it's wild to me that I'm, I mean I should, I should remember playing back the original like mem- memories right like oh Oklahoma is gonna get left in the dust and USC is gonna have a great season I was like that's not that's not gonna happen like USC is probably gonna have a decent season Oklahoma's probably have a decent season year one and then nope Caleb Williams wins the Heisman and USC has a terrific season despite the fact they don't win the big Pac-12 championship Oklahoma was six and six. And, but then, like, after that, just like you mentioned, just, they have a lot of defensive issues. Grinch is there. And, I mean, kudos to Grinch at Oklahoma in his first year. He helped them uh, at least force turnovers, which that's what USC was good at the year before. They forced, like, 20 t- turnovers or something like that. It was it was like, like three a game. It was nuts. And um, they, of course, fire Grinch and they don't only lose recruits, they lose current players. And I mean, 
I, I don't even know how many wins that Lincoln Riley gets in the Big Ten next year. It's it, it's it's the it's just funny to think about how and maybe like maybe that's a situation for Ole Miss, right? Like you you mentioned and uh you like we talked about the week prior about Lane Kiffin building your roster through the portal. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, Ole Miss recruits well. Oklahoma is playing the has like what four of the top 10 recruiting classes of this year and last year on their schedule next year, which is obviously pretty intense because they're going to the sec. But I mean, it's, it's just interesting to think about USC and that structure is failing them right now. And it looks like all signs point to it's going to fail them next year as well. And what does Lincoln Riley do then? Does he become a head coach at a smaller school? Does he become an offensive coordinator in the NFL? Like what, what happens to this guy? <laughs> I wonder what his contract looks like because they, they're paying him a ton of money. Yeah. And I would assume a lot of it's guaranteed and there's some sort of buyout. So I don't know if they can afford to fire him at this moment, but I mean, I would assume he would take a shot at the NFL Maybe because I mean, you look at his recent recruiting, he just doesn't seem all that into it. Like when he was at OU, everything was about recruiting. It was about getting guys on campus, about putting on a show, getting these guys to commit, and just having like the best skilled players possible. Uh, now, I mean, he's just kind of working with, oh, is this guy jumping in the portal? Let's throw him some money. Hopefully he can help us. Obviously, got lucky with Caleb Williams. Um, but I would assume like the next step for him is NFL because I just don't see how he, his mentality of like building a program, like a clubhouse just isn't going to stick around. Yeah, it was Lincoln. It seems very transactional. Um, he seems like a very ingenuine kind of personality that is, I mean, like it's easy to say it's now, right. Uh, that seems like a snake oil salesman. But uh, Trevor, same same thing. I mean, what what does Lincoln Riley look like now? I mean, he was the quarterback whisperer, the guy that got offenses going. And I'm sure like his offense, if he gets a decent offensive line, it'll probably put up numbers regardless next year because he schemes so well. Um, but I mean, I don't see the man winning more. I don't see the, I don't see him winning more than nine games especially with that roster against all the other rosters are playing. And so does his stock just keep getting lower? And at that point, like, does he just spend like a nine and three and an eight and four season at USC just to jump to like the NFL as a passing game coordinator or something? Possibly. I mean, I, I, I think somebody would still take a chance on Lincoln Riley um, as an OC in the NFL. Um, you know, like the dude can coach an offense. Um, but it, it, it's so interesting to like, look at um, like missed evals from Lincoln Riley as well. Like, you know, his best quarterbacks. Do they have evals for guys that uh pistol whip transfer drugs um, while drugs are actually like legal <laughs> with you have a card? Do they have, do they have, do they have evals for the, for that kind of, for that situation? Yeah, you know, um, I don't think they do. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it helps. I'll look into that. Um, okay. But, 
I mean, the guy, the guy recruit, he gets Caleb Williams because Brock Vandergriff uh, decommits. Goes to and, Georgia. Yes, go and then go and, and goes to Georgia. And who have we not heard from since? Brock Vandergriff. Yeah. Uh, you look at uh, Malachi Nelson. What about Chris uh, Robeson? Yes. Uh, the went to FAU under Lane and again. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Lane Game is on the game. He out there very well. Yeah, no, no. no Lane, no, Lane Game is like a chance. But he played against OU in that game. Yeah. True. Briefly. But he didn't wear his little uh, tinted sunglasses, though, which was disappointing. Sunglasses. Yeah, with the, with the money kind of like thing like going really on. Really, the only one that worked out would be Tanner Mordecai at SMU. Had a pretty good season. And I think he's yeah. still at Wisconsin, maybe. Well, um, like that. I think. It, does he have another year? Because I thought this year was his last he year might in Wisconsin. Not. Well, if Alan Bowman he... can get one, anyone can. Seven years. My God. Seven years this because they've got four. Registered... two presidents. Yeah, four registered, <laughs> medical register and COVID year. Because I was like, wait a minute. How does so-and-so still have? That's why I was like, how is Trace Ford still have eligibility? That's what. That's why I was like, I was like, there's no way. Uh, but then I went back and checked. I was like, holy crap, he is class of so-and-so. Yeah, all right, I'll check it, this out. It, and you know what? Hold on. Like, Cameo, like, you, you bring up a really good point of that, that reminded me, like, what we're seeing in the transfer portal and what you've got with guys like Trace Ford, you're, where you were like, how does this guy have another year? Yeah. I'm so curious about what the transfer portal looks like in 2026 when, like, there is no more COVID year. Like you don't have all this like plethora of fifth year seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Sorry. That little tangent. I, no, I just yeah, wanted no, to it, address it, it's, it's a good, it's a good point to bring out because there's, there are extra bodies in the portal in the portal right now because right. of guys that have that extra set. Like Dylan Gabriel is going to Oregon, right? This, this yeah. coming year. <laughs> school number three, three schools, DJ. Yeah. yeah it's still, going to Florida state. Now. Say Florida state. Like after saying he was probably going to go to the NFL, but he still can't pass worth of shit. But it, it's, 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 there's just oh. so much. Uh, and I think, I think it's a good point. Like, Hey, when all these bodies are gone, which is what this coming year uh, or next year, whichever one that these kids, it's you have your four or five years and maybe your sixth year. Uh, if you get a medical red shirt. Right. Um, and that that that's it then you're done instead of oh we've got seven seven year guys that oklahoma brings in for a year like rondo <laughs> bothroyd and guys like that that you just got you just were lucky to get and yeah. so i think it's a good point to bring up um and those guys got tcu to a damn national championship where they right sure they got the piss beat out of them by georgia but i mean they got them they got them to the national championship game uh or, or cultural playoff and uh, it's it's just so interesting to think about that. And, and uh, talking about college football playoffs, before we get to them, how do we feel about the Ethan Downs horns down uh, in the middle of the Texas Washington game? Do we like it? Do we I think it was like corny? It I didn't like you... it at first because you just got your ass whooped by Arizona. Yep. So probably not something you should be doing. But the reaction by the Texas fans changed my mind. Like watching that lady just say "fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you" over and over, like in Ethan Downs DMs, insane. 
Wait, that happened? Like somebody yes. just like oh yeah, somebody took the picture over their shoulder, like they could see what at they least texting. eight or nine times, just over and over. <laughs> I was like, "Holy cow!" This is what it's all about, really. Yeah, college football. You know, some people wouldn't survive a season. Uh, Trevor, it's same question. <laughs> did, did we do? Did we like it? Do we think it was corny? What do we think? It was corny, but I fucking love it because it. <laughs> I mean, it, it 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 ruined Texas night, and a night yeah. like it like it was it was it was perfect because in a night you lose to Washington, and a heartbreaker in the and college football playoff semifinal that comes out of it. You still you have to deal with an asshole that's your rival, <laughs> and of course they have to acknowledge it. It was and I didn't know Ethan Downs had that in him. I respect the hell out of it. And like that that that's the thing. It does right? surprise me what he does sometimes. So like do you do you think he had to get like Brent's it. permission for that? Or do you think he just think did so. it in, in, in the moment? He's gonna deal with the repercussions later. That has Gosh. to be it. There's no way Brent was like, Yeah, you should totally do that. It'd be so funny. <laughs> if Danny Stutzman did that, uh they would have burned it down. It would have been another Boz situation. He's going to wear a, a national whatever against athletes, national communist <laughs> against national athletes shirt. Sure. Yeah. Uh, if th- that happened. Did you see like the Boz mentioned that like there needs to be like equitable revenue sharing amongst athletes? The guy that wears a national communist against athletes shirt, insulting communists. <laughs> essentially advocates for communism in college football hey you know if we're not knowledged on that subject so we don't we don't like to talk about the means of production all right <laughs> um and see seizing them but uh you know it, it's just it's no yeah it, I, I agree with you guys it was at first i was like come on man but then then like late, later on as the game went on and then, like trevor like you mentioned as Texas loses this heartbreaker where like I'm over here sitting at sitting, like no, no sitting on standing, just like hovering, like with my arms closed right next to the TV and air, uh, Arizona, Washington runs on third down and suddenly the running back goes down to the ground injured. I was like, you're not telling me that Washington just gave Texas another 30 seconds. Like, of course, like hope the kid's okay. Long-term and short-term. He's going to play like, in, the national, in the national championship. Is he? Okay. Yeah. But I was just like, this kid, I mean, not to his fault. He got hurt. But this kid just gave Texas a lot more time because that clock was going to be at like 15, 17 15 by the time they, they touched it. Uh, yep. and, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, this actually might be a game now because Washington's going to play soft. And Texas got chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. A little bit of... Uh, magic on the sidelines some 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 penalties and then they get close to winning the game and they lose a heartbreaker and then you have the oklahoma fans being like now suddenly retweeting the crap out of ethan downs with the horns down <laughs> at halftime of that game and then oklahoma fans being like hey listen like you we beat you so i mean <laughs> there's that too like yeah like texas sure like they won the big 12 title. Oklahoma has several. You can have one of ours. You can borrow it for like a sleepover, I guess, unless it's in swimming, 
but I just thought it was so interesting uh, how that all played out. Like at first I was like, uh, and then I thought, is he in trouble with Brent? And then as the night played out, as it did, I was like, okay, well that's fitting. Uh, let's talk about the cultural playoffs. So uh, let's start with Alabama and um, why am I blinking? Alabama, Michigan, duh, Harbaugh. How, how could I forget? You guy, I pleated pants. I don't like it. Uh, Steven, <laughs> Alabama, Michigan, Michigan seems to be really physical. Uh, they seem to get after it. Maybe not the most explosive offensive team. However, they can be certainly they're definitely really physical and huge and great on the defensive side of the ball. What does this game say? Does this game say more about Michigan or does it say less about Alabama? Both. I think Michigan's done really well recruiting um, and developing players in, on both sides of the line. I think that showed up in that game. And then I think, I mean, Michigan's just one of the the best rushing offenses I've, I've seen in a while. Like, it just seems like consistently year after year, they just have a dude at running back. And, like, that guy can just carry them to a win. So, mm-hmm. uh, like, Blake Corum, outstanding running back. Can't wait to see him in the NFL. Um, that was a hell of a game from him, especially on that, that uh, was it the run in overtime yep. to take the lead. So, and then, I mean, Alabama did not look good. They, I mean, yeah, that, they didn't that, look bad. Rope it's not like the Alabama you're, yeah. You're, it's not the Alabama you saw in 2015, 2016, 2017. Like that Alabama is probably gone and there's just not a lot of depth. Like I've never seen an Alabama offensive line, especially the center, just play that bad. Like they always. Dynasty's like over. Bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, their bread and butter is always. Play tackle at Alabama. For Alabama? When's the, yeah, when's uh, the last time you saw a freshman play ta- tackle at Alabama? Was yeah. it the Neal kid played as a freshman? Maybe. Evan Neal? I don't even know. That would have been like the only only time I can remember that. Wait, but, it, I mean, it, like their center was just so bad. It, it was Terrible. just so interesting that the, as the night, because it was a competitive game, don't get me wrong, and I loved the Rose Bowl patches that Michigan wore um, on the on the shoulder pads. I thought it was, thought it was a great look. And um, they just out physical them on both lines of scrimmage, and they definitely pushed Alabama back, made Jalen Milrow feel very uncomfortable, and ultimately that's what led to that fourth down play. That I don't know if that was a designed QB sneak, if he just kind of fell forward because the offensive line in the middle just cratered, or what the hell that was. But it was a terrible fourth down for Alabama. Um, Trevor, what's your take on that game? Again, like is. Does this say a lot about Michigan or does this say less about maybe Alabama is, is, is I assume the dynasty is over. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm never like Nick Saban sold a soul to the devil. So I'm just never going to fully count out Nick Saban until, until he is gone from the sport forever. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, the, the fourth down play to end the game Bad snap from the center forces Jalen Milrow um, into a situation he doesn't want to be in. Um, so, I mean, just mistake after mistake after mistake. It's something you don't see a lot in, in Nick Saban coach teams in, in, uh, in Alabama over the last decade. Um, but what's funny to me still is the empathy that like people feel or like, for for Nick Saban in Alabama 
that they are just gushing over this guy is this is probably his his best coaching job mm. at Alabama that this is to get them to the college football playoff and you know a play away from the national championship we're just a bunch game. of underdog five stars yes they are the they are still 247's <laughs> most talented composite team in the country yeah like they are the most talented football team in college football Love that. oh it's a miracle that they got there yeah holy shit yeah from ninth right wasn't it ninth eighth ninth it, it's 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 interesting to think about i mean in harbaugh i mean that dude could be headed to the nfl really soon so i mean i'm curious how <laughs> that how that also works out too he's i gone. mean he's he's already he's already coaching the, NFL. the man's already coaching a damn super bowl uh, so I imagine he would like to get back to the NFL and business skate, uh, the wise of it all, um, instead of the, in the recruiting games and stuff like that. He wants because... his Pete Carroll moment. <clears throat> sure. And like, who doesn't, right. Cause yeah. like he, cause he's already, he, he, he coached in a super bowl and, uh, I mean like, yeah, like did they lose to his, did he lose to his brother? Sure. Um, but I, I, I just think that. For however awkward he is, he is a, he's a good he's a good football coach, <laughs> and uh, he turned uh, Stanford around, right? Uh, the Andrew Luck years. So I mean, he's a guy that definitely is done, like you mentioned, Trevor. Um, but the, let's talk about Washington, Texas. We thought it'd be high scoring; it was high scoring. Um, lots of sad Longhorn fans love to see it. Lots of Michael Penix or Penix, whatever you want to say. Um, how do we feel about that game? Do, do, like who, like knowing that your final is now going to be Michigan versus Washington, which is a kind of fun matchup, like a really fun matchup. It's a great matchup. Yes. I, I mean, I mean, back to back years of phenomenal football games in the semifinals. And that was unheard of, <laughs> you know, uh, in previous years. I mean, back to back great years of, of great football games. Um, I thought the Washington Texas game was one of the most fun games I've mm-hmm. watched all year because Michael Penix, I'm just going to say it. The wrong dude won the Heisman. And I think Jalen Daniels really fucking good at football. Yeah. Michael Penix is your Heisman trophy winner. I should have been. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's dude's unreal. 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 I'm so curious, like what his draft stock, like what, mm-hmm. like, what people are going to say, because I know like his criticism is his throwing motion. Who gives a shit? Yeah. The dude can like th- do amazing things throwing a football. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, because when we were watching the game, I was like, I was like, yeah, he's a Heisman winner. I was like, wait a minute. No, wait, no, he's not the Heisman winner. That got dude that lost four games is the Heisman winner. And I'm looking over at Michael Penix, who's going to the national championship and just like throwing frozen ropes between defenders, between three defenders for touchdowns. And I'm like, how is this guy that's like getting 40 yards of pass off? And it's because he's like throwing very accurate spiral deep, deep balls. And even just like in tight situations, this guy is not the one that gets it. And it, it's it's interesting. I think, of course, like just like with anything, just like with the cultural playoff, there's an SEC bias. Um, my favorite part of the cultural playoffs in particular has been um, Desmond Howard and 
Reese Davis and all those guys on the set. And uh, <laughs> Reese Davis said that uh, Dalen Milrow had something from his coach uh, called Blank. And uh, he, he uh, said it stood for let a naysayer know. And I could just see the sweat dripping off of off of Pat uh, Pat McAfee's brow. And then I saw Des Howard and Joey Galloway almost pass out on the air. <laughs> uh, well, Kirk Herbstreit also like looked looked along nervously. And you know what? I'm a little. I'm a little glad Lee Corso wasn't there. I was, gonna, I was, I was gonna, about to say, I was gonna throw that out there. <laughs> I'm a little worried about what Lee would do. Uh, <laughs> he would not do well in that situation. Kirk had a like thousand yard snare for a second. He was like, no, no, no. But no, that it, was. Did you see when they're just randomly talking and the the stealth bomber comes by and they all just freeze? Yeah, they look. <laughs> yeah. They just, like looked up at it. Like, wow. That, that thing's not silent at all. It's like no, no shit. It's not. It's not, it's not why it's not called the stealth bomber. But oh my gosh, that's probably been the most like replayed anything of college football season is that segment. And also like something I have a problem with during the Texas Washington game was because it was the uh, oh uh, no that was uh, that was a Mich- that was the Michigan Alabama game. Regardless, they kept on twisting the damn dagger about Lincoln Riley in the Rose Bowl. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> like, you just got to stick the knife in a little bit more, twist it, like, a little bit more, knowing that Oklahoma probably should have had eight titles right now. Uh, but I'm done I'm done ranting. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I am, I am I done podcasting. Yeah. that they wouldn't just carry the running back off. Like, like just take your biggest lineman, pick him up, and just take him off the field and just bring a backup lineman in, just kneel it and call the game. Yep. Like no one had the 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 awareness to do that on on Washington's sideline. Yeah, he was like immediately. In, immediately he goes down. He starts writhing in pain. And I'm like, uh, is he gonna get up? It's like, get is up. Somebody, is somebody gonna help him up Just and him up. get him off the field? And immediately as he stayed down, I was like, uh, Texas is gonna have at least 45, 40 seconds left on this clock. In the added time. Yeah. But he's. Most importantly, that was a sweat, but in was those like... 45 seconds was when we got the live break, the cutaway to Bourbon Street, where we got the boobs. <laughs> Did you guys see that? That's nuts. Yeah. That, and that's, that's pre-recorded. That's pre-recorded. <laughs> they look. go in the pre-record... <laughs> This see guys, this is the stuff we talk about before the <laughs> podcast. So if like that's the kind of stuff you're into, maybe we might put a paywall up. But like they 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 pre-record those scenes for like short 15 seconds, 30 seconds, so they can they can do it in the ad in, in the or not the ad room, but the <laughs> media room. Like oh hey, cut to so and so in this many seconds. And like, all right, we're live. And like that's something that's pre-recorded on Bourbon Street and straight up like you're just like hanging out and then suddenly they're hanging out and you're like wow espn just really just like you know either depending upon who you well, are maybe, maybe you're a teenage boy maybe you're not fumbling the bag maybe you're just giving the bag or to others you are fumbling the bag they had a janet jackson moment that you know nobody really talked about and then it was all over twitter and nobody just really talked to talked about it too much i mean it, it reminds me of a, a, a special Dean Blevins story. Oh, I was there. I oh, was there. For what? That. No. 
on the balcony on Bourbon Street. Oh, wow. Dude, you can... If anybody Your has Dean? that video... Yeah, I was literally standing right next to him when it happened. Well, <laughs> what was Dean drinking that night? Walk me through it. Pops, no tequila. A couple let's of just hand say grenades. They had unlimited hurricanes at the. Uh, oh, we like ourselves party. a good hurricane. Pat O'Brien's. And it was it was literally right across the street from Pat O'Brien's. Um, and so we like had this private balcony. Um, like this is this is what media parties are like. <laughs> um, they're insane. Sure. Um, yeah. And of course, they gave us beads to throw out. And so Dean pulls out his phone. And I show his beads and sure enough, there he is. And I look over <laughs> and I see this man start to tweet it. No. In the video, you can hear me say, Dean, no. <laughs> well. Didn't, didn't see Dean for a couple weeks at the office after that. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, Dino's one. Dino's one of our own uh, Oklahomans. <laughs> no matter where he's together. I love. I love Dean. No, Dean's a good do. guy. Dean's a good guy. He's, he's a, nice. He's, he's really a nice. Really, really good dude. Yeah, he, Dean's a nice guy, <laughs> despite some of his actions. Um, all right, guys, I'm, I'm tapped for the night. Uh, do you have anything to echo Steven and or Trevor? Join the Discord. Because <laughs> I'll find that video and I'll put it in the Discord. So if you want to see it, Dean, <laughs> join oh, us yeah. free. Uh, I'll put a link out. There's got to be a Lost Ogle article out there somewhere. That's exactly where I'm looking. See? See? <laughs> see, he already knows. Trevor, anything? Um, I had a fun chat the other day about the Mount Rushmore of OU hoops. Ooh. I want to tap into that next week as we move further into basketball That's season. Great idea. Soon after Oklahoma, it gets a prediction of a five-star hooper. So who knows? Porter Moser ball may be working, but... I echo both those sentiments. We will be talking hoops next week for sure as Oklahoma goes into conference play against Iowa State, 11-2, by the way, Oklahoma 12-1. And, um, and then, I agree with Steven, join the Discord. It's free. It's in the link in the bio of the podcast, of every podcast app, basically, you can find. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, you guys follow us on Twitter. I'm coming at K underscore Moravian. You can follow Trevor at Trevor Rogers underscore one. And you can follow Steven at OUPDATEDSB. Thank you guys again for learning, uh, learning, listening, and learning, maybe. Uh, we'll check. <laughs>